You are listening to a Core Awareness Seminar by Liz Cook. Her website is www.coreawareness.com. That's C-O-R-E awareness.com. Please note that Core Awareness is a trademark signature of Liz Cook, her workshops, seminars, books, and CDs. The information presented in the seminar is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose of the seminar is to provide information and to simply educate. The author and publisher shall have neither liability nor responsibility to any person or entity with respect to any loss, damage, or injury caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly by the information, suggestions, explorations, or exercises contained within the seminar or written in response to the seminar. The author is not a medical authority, and she is not qualified to diagnose or prescribe any therapy. The information is simply her personal opinion. Please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have. So we're on, and welcome everybody. This is Liz Cook at Core Awareness, and we have a teleseminar today with Derek Stockton. And um, if you're interested in knowing about Derek, we'll we'll have some information at the end. There's also a workshop coming up uh, that's on my website at www.coreawareness.com. And so if you go into the workshop area, you'll see that in July he'll be conducting a one-day workshop, and we're putting together some other workshops. So if this turns out to be something that really excites you, you have some ways to connect with, with Derek. And then he's located in Scotts Valley at Core Awareness, uh, Core, Core Core Awareness thank you, Core Strength Rx. And I'm going to give you a little background that I have, and then we'll, we'll start our interview. Um, as you know, I was really interested from the newsletter to introduce you to Derek. He's the owner of Core Strength RX Gym, and he's a certified trainer and the creator of Symmetric Core, which is a system for developing a powerful and functional core. And uh, you've been an athlete. Uh, uh, you were at Marine Boot Camp and a bodybuilder, and you've turned into a power lifter and also a strength coach and personal trainer. So that's a pretty different avenue for many of you than I've gone in the past, for those of you who've joined me before. And, uh, but what's exciting is that uh, Derek has a functional psoas muscle, which is a, a rare opportunity for me to work with somebody who does and who understands it uh, as much as I do and probably much more than I do. So um, oh, I'm learning. Oh, I don't know about that, but thank you. <laughs> but I'm learning from you, and uh, and so... I wanted to give everybody an opportunity to get some really understanding of a different perspective of strength training than, than what is out there in uh, the typical gyms around the country. So welcome, Derek, and thank you for joining thank me. Thank you, Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great. So let's begin with, um, with a little bit of kind of history. How did you end up uh, deciding that core strength was about a fluid and functional core rather than a, a, a rigid, dense core. Tell people a little well, about your history. Yeah, sure. Well, as you mentioned, I did all sports growing up. I, I lettered, I think, in four or five different sports in high school. So you know, I have a good athletic background. It really beat me up at a young age. Um, as well as my time in the Marine Corps, very hard on my body. Um, and I had this ability through sports and, and different physical activities to really push myself, and, and it allowed me to excel in sports. It allowed me to excel in the Marines. But it really was hurting my body on the deeper layers, the deeper, the deeper muscles. Um, I was living in constant pain throughout my back, throughout my neck, throughout my shoulders, um, so I was, I realized, I just was trying to find relief from the pain from all of this intense activity that I'd been participating in. 
um, and to me, and finding many roadblocks. I, I was not getting the was not getting where I wanted to. I wasn't getting past my pain. I was searching out chiropractic, acupuncture, massage, and so I had to include these variables. They're very important, but come up with a a new a new paradigm which would allow these deeper muscles to relax, giving harmony between your muscular system and your skeletal system. And when you have harmony there, the nerves can flow through and um, things are in harmony and you won't be experiencing the pain. And uh, well, that's my route to my current paradigm was basically working, overworking myself, stress through physical activity, stress through work, stress, and, and learning to, to have stress come out of my body, not just accumulate it in, in deep areas and not give it the opportunity to let the stress and let the pain come out of my body. Okay, and that, so I want to I stop you there. I want to stop you there and, okay. and direct it towards, uh, because you're a man who has done a lot of power lifting. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know where you are right you. now about how, how much weight you carry, but that's a pretty stressful um, uh, hobby, that, a hobby that you have, okay? So, so, so what I'm hearing is that you found your system that you've developed, which we'll talk about, I want to break it down, um, allowed you to begin to do powerlifting in a way that was, was really very functional? Well, initially it wasn't. Initially I started powerlifting coming into it from other sports and I liked the functional uh, aspect of the powerlifting and the objective, the objectiveness of it. Um, but as I began to do these heavier weights, um, I realized that I was too injured along my spine, in my neck, in my shoulders, in my hips to handle these loads um, even with effective movement, with, with effective movement patterns. So it really came down to learning how to decrease that tonicity, decrease that pain, increase the function of the deep muscles in my body so that I could allow the surface muscles to do their job in the power lift. And they all have to do their job. But most people are not accessing and understanding how those deeper muscles are holding adhesions and holding holding tension, preventing neurology from coming out of the facet joints of the back, and it perturbs all of your patterns and your strength. Um, so getting you know getting that uh, getting that deep tonicity reduced, um, that muscle that muscle tonus at relaxed in a relaxed state. Okay, so I want to go. I want to go there, but wait a minute. So so let me t let me lead here for a minute. Um, Okay, so you, um, so one of the areas I want I want you to discuss is what you call a, a spine-based movement, because and I want to say why because a lot of um, a lot of work that I do has to do with re-educating people around their core and what the psoas is and and that the psoas is supple and responsive and that it's a messenger of the central nervous system. It's not, not the problem necessarily. It's actually telling us about just what you're speaking about, what's really happening in the deep layers of the organism. And I like the term spine-based movement, which you came up with, because I think that's functional psoas. So would you speak to spine-based movement? Sure. And um, well, when it comes to a passive movement program where you want to decrease the resting tonicity of your muscles at their resting state, um, we, uh, we want to do this not so much for pulling through our extremities and moving in our extremities, which stresses a lot of insertions. We want to be more in the origins of our muscles, and the, a lot of the origins are close to the spine. And so by doing a program with spine-based movement, the basic being in the anterior-posterior plane, forward and backwards, flexion and extension, rounding your back forward, arching up. So there's your anterior-posterior plane. And then we've got the sagittal, the left and right plane, um, which is our scoliotic patterns. And um, 
so we want to learn to to to, to decrease the tonicity of those deep muscles, uh, allowing us to to um, um, do spinal flexion and extension and lateral flexion with some torsions in passive manners, um, and really associating with the the deep muscles along the spine, the, the even down deep as the rotatories and multiplicity uh, in between the ribs, the intercostals. Not just all of the big surface muscles, but also become entrapped on one another. The rhomboids become entrapped onto the T-spine erectors, and and the movement will also the spine-based movement will help move those surface muscles off of each other and allow them to slide over one another, um, and allow the deeper muscles then to to move within themselves and not adhere to the to the layers on top of them. Okay, so great. to have so- a spinal base. Okay. So I just I want to uh, welcome everybody and anyone who hasn't star six, please star six, so that we get a better uh, quality. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and I don't have to hear everybody else's things that are going on. Um, so Derek, there's so much to talk about. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep you on track here, just from the point of view, because you have so much information to share. And okay. and, and so I wanna I wanna I just wanna take that into. Um, how uh, how unique your weight training is because pelvic movement uh, versus what we usually see in uh, core strength is usually shown as a stabilization, what I call a tucking of the pelvis, often navel to spine, or even if it's neutral, it's an overdevelopment of the abdominal muscles and not a deep connection to the spine and these little intricate uh, facets that you're talking about and the awareness of the iliopsoas and the, the finer, subtle, energetic expression in the core. And yet you have developed that in your own body and yet you're lifting, what, 500 pounds or 700 pounds or whatever uh, it is. I'm, uh, I'm, try, I'm trying to do 800 at this Okay, point. you're trying to do 800. So <laughs> you've obviously got something going for you that I'm very excited about because you're living proof of what I intellectually understand. And so I'm, you know, I'm thrilled. Um, so, so talk about, I mean, when I watch your pelvis move, you have incredible movement in the pelvis and you engage that movement rather than this stabilization of hardness that we typically see as what we call core strength. Speak to that. Well, it's the movement through the, the hip girdle and utilizing your core, your deep core muscles to hold your posture while you move through your hips is, is an amazing process to learn. It's a, it's the correct, it's a correct movement pattern. And when someone performs a squat movement and they, they descend down to a chair or we do box squats to various height boxes, um, the tendency is to flex the knees, descend almost straight down, maybe just very slightly back. And when you do that, the, the pelvis tucks, you know, the tailbone tucks, and you end up sitting on the back of your sit bones in very bad posture. Um, whereas if you learn to sit down correctly, which is not with knee flexion, which is with hip flexion. So hip flexion, if you were to stand to the side, with knee flexion, you'd see the whole trajectory of the body move, move forward as the knees bend. When you hip flex and you keep your posture, you will stay right in your center of gravity. Your hips will move back, but your shoulders will stay and ears will stay directly over your hips, right over your heels. Um, it's a uh, it's ergonomically correct way to, to move and to squat. And when I, when I would squat, before I learned to squat in this fashion, I um, did the, the way you see everyone squatting at the gyms. I was repeatedly hurting myself, and my max squat was 400 pounds. Now I've learned to gauge my core muscles, move from my hips, and in my next meet, I'm going to be trying 800 pounds. So I'm actually gotten quite strong in that movement by doing it correctly. Okay, so let's take this to what you call action potential. And the intention, I understand, is, you know, most people want to get bigger, they want to get stronger, they want to get faster, uh, they want to get yeah, longer. Sure. Right. Okay. So um, you recognize well, that, that there's a whole process there to do that and that it's not what's happening in our gyms and personal training today. So talk about that. Okay. Well, action potential. Action potential I see as 
the 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 contraction phase from your resting tonicity from your resting state to your fully contracted state, the tonicity there. And what people are trying to do when they go into the gyms and, and different activities, they're really pushing that end of the, the, the spectrum where they're trying to get stronger, trying to get faster, trying to get more endurance, um, trying to lengthen out or increase that contraction phase. Well, what I contend is that while they're working on that end of the, the spectrum, their relaxed state, they're pulling up with them. They need to, you need, people need to focus on bringing that relaxed state more relaxed and don't allow the stress and the intense workout to pull your muscle tonicity at relaxed state up as well. You can actually decrease your contraction phase. Even though you've gotten a little stronger, you really pull your relaxed state up with those tight, tight muscles, you'll be eliciting less power and less strength, less control. So for the past five years, I have not been focusing on getting stronger. That has not been my, my objective. My objective has been focusing on becoming healthier, getting more relaxed in my relaxed state, um, and better patterns and a better, more symmetrical patterns of movement. And that's a whole other subject there. Um, and without getting stronger, I have gotten stronger. In the past two years, my squat's gone up from 700, and I'm trying 800 at this next meet. I have not been really pushing the strength end of my exercise. My exercise weights are the same. But for the fact that my resting state, my muscles are soft, I, can, I get a very, when I tell them to contract, then they contract, and then they're soft and they're relaxed state. And so there's healthy flow, there's good recuperation. Um, so we want to increase that action potential of the muscle by, yes, getting it stronger, but not pulling the resting state up with it. We need to make the resting state of the muscle go the other direction, increasing our contraction phase and our contraction potential, our action potential. It's really fascinating because uh, working with you, I, I see that relaxation in your tissue, and you've had me, you know, touch your neck. And, um, uh, I mean, you know, you the the shape of the muscle is there, and yet when I place my finger on the tissue, it goes to the bone. It just has a soft, fluid expression, which is what I contend needs to happen with the iliopsoas, as well as all the musculature. And one of the ways I work with that is through uh, proprioception. We do a lot of proprioceptive work because the psoas is not usually the problem it's a messenger of a lack of proprioceptive awareness. So there's a lack of relationship to gravity and a lack of relationship to, to those messages that are sent neurologically. And I know your work is really based in proprioception and that your studio has the wonderful words of uh, you know, posture, position, and proprioception, which I have never seen in a gym or uh, a I training my, center. I call them my... So, I call them my I miss, I'm losing you, Derek. I'm sorry, can you have me now? Yeah. Is that? Okay. Yeah. And if anybody's, if anybody's just joined us, please click uh, star six. That will help us get a better communication. Thank you. Okay, go. I lost so you. With the, with, with, are you with me? Am I here? Am yeah, I here? Can you hear me? Yes. Go. Okay. Am I still with you? Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, you're coming in and out. Okay, I'm gonna stay right here. Yeah. Um, I call I call those my three P's: the posture, position, and proprioception. And we want to always facilitate the proper posture, position, and proprioception. We can make a very simple task become very complex in that we're asking your neurology to multitask through multiple layers of your body controlling all of your joint angle, controlling your posture, and then a, a, a very basic task of sitting down and standing up actually becomes very difficult um, in that I want to know what, that you know where your hips are in space and time, where's your T-spine, where's your C-spine, uh, even where, what angles your left, left ankle at. Um, all of this plays into your proprioception and awareness of where your body is in space and time and to be able to control that then while you're exercising. So that's a very different take on, so let's say a little more about proprioception, because when you're working with, it, it feels to me that, that proprioception is really almost, 
a lot more important than what a specific or isolated muscle is doing. You're, you're activating specific muscles, but you were talking about that holistic model, and proprioception seems to be part of that holistic model. Would you say that's well, right? With the yeah, it's not just muscle, muscle contractions. I mean, we're concerned with joint angles. So, so you know how, what, is the, what is the safe angle for you to have your knee or your hip or your back at in space and time um, with your past history or, or injuries? You know, and we each have these, and we need to know how to effectively move um, in space and time so that we're not continuing to aggravate um, these deeper muscles, we, a lot of times we're focused on these surface muscles that power us, and they're adhering to those surface muscles. They get pulled around, and, and the deep muscles like the iliopsoas, psoas, scalenes, longissimus thoracis, uh, these muscles get entrapped with the layers around them, and, and they're not giving us the proper proprioceptive feedback coming out of the spine that we need to be able to maintain our posture. Um, it's, you're just not able to get a clear signal coming out of the facets because of all the adhesion around the spine there. And uh, so, again, that leads back to the spine-based movements and, and eliminating those adhesions and uh, freeing up the nerve conduction. And then our, our, our brain can effectively communicate with our muscular and skeletal systems. And vice versa, right? The, the wonderful circuit between what the muscle is telling the brain and what the brain's telling the muscle. Is a... Sure, yeah, you have an efferent signal, sure. So let's go to repetitive movement because this is the typical way of building uh, core strength is to repeat. Uh, in Pilates, they have the hundreds where they you know, there's, there's, I think every system has their repetitive motion or movement as a way to attempt to strengthen. And I don't experience right. that working with you, so please talk about that. Well, this is the conjugate uh, method of training, which is, uh, it's different than linear periodization, which was developed here in the West, which is, you know, pick a specific movement, and as you're working towards your event, you ramp up the intensity on that movement until you finally end up at a very intense before the competition, and, and then you're doing that movement in the competition. Whereas conjugate periodization, periodization originated in the Eastern Bloc and was brought to us by Louis Simmons, a, power, a powerlifting guru back in the Midwest. And um, this, I want you to put similar stresses on your body, but not the same stress over and over. So we want to do similar patterns that are helping facilitate the type of proprioception and movements that we want, but not exactly the same. Um, and so it doesn't lead towards uh, accumulation of adhesions and trauma over and repetitively in the same way on those tissues. And so we change it slightly. It's still facilitating that main move, but it's a little bit different. So your neurology gets a chance, a break from that same pattern. The, the connective tissue gets a break from that same pattern. But it's similar enough pattern to help facilitate that is what you're looking for um, instead of always having to do the same thing over and over and over. So do you think the repetitive uh, methodology works? I think the repetitive methodology works, but the problem is as, as let's say someone is doing their box squat and they're sitting down on the box and they're standing up on the box. Well, right away, let's say they're supposed to be flexing their hips and they're not. Well, that needs to be brought to their attention. And you're like, oh, wait, this is hip flexion. A lot of people have never even done that before. And as soon as they do it, it's a light bulb moment. Oh, well, that's what it's to flex your hips. And... Um, yeah, so to be able to go down and up in a in a symmetrical fashion and not only flex the hips backwards, but then also keep the spine neutral while you sit down and you stand up. Now, we all have issues along our spines and scoliotic patterns, functional scoliosis or structural, but those but it will come out in your functional movement and so what we want, if someone's doing repetitively, up and down, over and over, and their L-spine is flexing left or flexing right, a little bit each time because the psoas is taut and dry on one side with their dominant pattern, letting go on the other, and it causes this little, uh, uh, um, little scoliotic pattern in the L-spine every time 
they go down, and they're not picking it up. And that's the problem, is that not picking up on that shift during all of those repetitions. So keying in on the structural symmetry of your movement and learning how, and then I don't mind doing more repetitions, but we need to key on uh, the, the correct structural position and posture, not just going up and down, up and down, and allowing these soliotic shifts uh, to take place and not being conscious of them. So the, the, uh, 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 what, I, what I find really beautiful about the way you're working is that you're combining a holistic uh, skeletal um, muscular neurological uh, kind of synergy that begins to show itself in a movement. So the whole person is doing a movement, even if it's a, a, specific, a specific movement. Um, there's, no iso- there's no isolation. It's all connected, and it really does. You need to learn how to work it and make it operate all together correctly. Um, and uh, it's 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 not just haphazardly going up and down a lot of times. Uh, you know, they'll say pra- pra- saying that practice makes perfect, but that's not the case, right? Perfect practice would make perfect. So I like enough to doing it more perfectly. So let's talk about stretching because that's the other. First, it's the you know trying to gain. Uh, strength by creating uh, density in tissue or, or repetitive movement creates density like a bodybuilder, which you were, and you've shown me pictures of what you look like as a bodybuilder. Very different. And so uh, uh, I'd love the audience to hear a little bit about what you think about bodybuilding compared to powerlifting, but also about the stretching. Because as you said, you know, most people, there's an assumption that the tissue is ready to stretch. So would you speak about stretching? Well, again, when the muscle tonicity is such that you know, you've got trigger, you're, you're harboring trigger points throughout your body. Um, if anyone works with a good massage therapist, they'll be able to see you know all of these points because they get their elbows and knuckles into them. And we want to decrease the tonicity of these, uh, of these muscles um, one second. Sorry. Um, so we want we want to decrease the tonicity of these muscles, and it can't. You can't just pull on them. You you you're assuming then that the muscle is malleable, and that the muscle is pliable, and that it's ready to to, to stretch and, and become more flexible. But when the muscles are tight and they're bound up and they have adhesions within the muscles at the muscle tendon junctures, at the tendon bone junctures. Uh, they're not ready to stretch, and if you pull on them, they're going to retract, and they're going to you're going to end up with bad sensations um, with the normal stretch paradigm. I feel the decreased tonicity of your relaxed state, stretching is too harsh. The movement of extent it needs to be extension. It needs to be some maybe some light traction, um, some movement. Some breathing, but not pull hard. Uh, again, that's assuming that this tissue is ready to become more flexible. When you feel the softness coming onto the tissue and you're uh, becoming more relaxed, then we can start with more of a, you know, a, a getting your sensation deeper, feeling a, a stretch at, say, a, a 7 out of 10. But initially, I think it's very important for the sensations along your spine and in your neck and as you're doing new movement patterns, we're keeping those, those at a 2 or maybe a 3 out of 10, especially if someone is in uh, an acute state. Um, really keeping it just a, a pattern of movement, relaxation, and breathing, and uh, we start to decrease the tonicity of that re- of that resting state. Then we can start asking of that tissue what we want, and it'll start to perform. What about um, what about the idea of of weightlifting? When you did weightlifting, you had all those rippled muscles that were hard and dense, and and uh, you've spoke to me about that about your personal experience, and then the shift of here you are you know, actually lifting a lot more weight and you have a very supple, responsive tissue and musculature. All right. 
Right. Well, if someone 10 years ago had met me, I, on the surface, you'd have thought, wow, this guy looks you know, great. I really kept my body fat down to 6 or 7%. I over-dieted, over and you know, I was really anal about how I ate, and, <laughs> and I looked really good on the surface. I looked really good on the surface, but I was in bad pain. My, my neck hurt. was my chronic pain for 15, 20 years. Um, I... He experienced uh, um, thoracic outlet to the point at which I would be woken up in the middle of the night with my thumbs pounding with each pulse beat because I had no space and I have spurring in my my C spine and I had no space in my facets and it was and the tightness through my scalenes was impinging on my brachial plexus and I just I had this horrible horrible issues although you know you wouldn't have took, you know to look at me on the surface and think that um, and then throughout my whole body I was breaking down I I I feel like I was on my way to you know fibromyalgia or rheumatoid arthritis um, I, I was just I hurt all over and um, when I began powerlifting really it, it really hurt I was I couldn't lift these heavy weights and I wasn't as good with my patterns as 10 years ago as I am now and so as I I, I realized if I'm going to continue with this powerlifting, which I really like because it was functional, not just about you know the aesthetics that I had been doing, and I, I really wanted to stay with it. I knew there was something there, but if I was going to do it, I had to learn to get healthy. I had to, I had to learn to get over these neck issues and my forearm issues and my back issues, and and um, and so I sought out help everywhere I could, trying to figure out the equation, um, and. Uh, well, I I feel I figured it out. It was through lots of lots of putting together lots of different variables, and a lot of them people just don't consider. And uh, why don't you tell us what, what they are? Because I think they are. They've been. Well, they're, well, they're, I have your list. Like, I have your list here. If you need, you have active recovery and flexibility. Okay, active recovery is what I term as. Uh, yeah, I I only I myself train three days a week, but I do active recovery six or seven days a week, and that's twenty minutes, thirty minutes of mobility work, flexibility work, relaxation work, foam roller work. I have an awesome paradigm for utilizing the foam rollers. Um, so many different amazing relaxing positions of spinal flexion and extension and lateral flexion over the roller through throughout your C T and L spines. Um, it's just uh, you know, the, the rollers have become just an amazing extension of uh, allowing us to, to, to do our active recovery work. Um, so active recovery, um, and, and, and active recovery continues um, even in a healthy state. And that's the difference. I think people people do go to physical therapy, and their time's over, and so it's all done. And and what they don't realize is, well, maybe the area that it was being worked on is a little better, but the area just below it, the ankle just below, or the is the joint just above, has become you know compromised and in out of shape. And and um, we need to continue. The physical therapy just doesn't stop. And so uh, you know these are movements that will help continue and facilitate your health. Um, regardless of your activities um, and regardless of the stress and anxiety in your life. These are, these are activities that you can do to, to help your relaxed state of your body and your mind. The second one you so have is, is, the second one you have is uh, ergonomic considerations. And, of course, for people who know my work, I spend a lot of time on the ergonomic issues because that's a lot of what shortens and dries the iliopsoas. But you want to talk about your feelings about the ergonomics. Well, the ergonomic issue is huge, um, from laying to standing to sitting, um, and any of these uh, positions that we do for extended period of time. In bad positions, obviously, uh, really, they, they hurt these deep muscles of our body. And a lot of times, because our neurology isn't flowing correctly out of our because of all the tightness and adhesions, we we don't quite connect with how how that bad position for that extended period of time is really hurting us until it gets too late and we're in severe pain. Um, so, or yeah, ergonomic considerations for um, sleeping, you know, utilizing cervical pillows, um, utilizing a good mattress. When someone's back is, is too tight, they're going to want a soft mattress. But as your back gets a little more supple and soft, 
He's going to be able to utilize a harder mattress, um, kind of along the lines with our rollers. People initially want to use the softer rollers because the back muscles are tight. But as your back muscles loosen up, you want to use, people want to use the harder rollers um, and to get and get more relief. Um, so another one you have is uh, you have aerobic um, and GPP, whatever that means. I'm not sure what you mean by that. But. Well, like a general, uh, GPP stands for general physical preparedness. That's just getting in better shape. Okay. So if we want to, yeah, it's you know aerobics and getting in better shape basically. And and so everyone knows that we need to stay on top of our aerobics and our cardiovascular for our heart and our lungs. And and that just keeps your general physical preparedness up. And so yet you've said some things about running. So tell us a little bit about your running, view. Running, I'm, I mean, running, running is a great activity, but there's just a lot of impact. So if you've got issues with tightness, every time your body is impacting, the, every time your foot impacts the ground, there's some serious, there's some serious compression going on through your entire body. Um, I uh, went out and rollerbladed a, a couple weekends ago, and it was great. There was no impact on my body at all. I really noticed a difference. Having jogged the, the week before and then going out on the rollerblades was very nice, very non-impacting. So I, I really like that. And then, then running, we have to get our cardio in. Anabolic, anabolic conditioning? Um, you have well, a, and, and that may be part of the uh, proprioceptive training. Is that what we're talking about? What was that? What was, what was the last one? Sorry, uh, Liz. If I, can, if I can read your writing. It's uh, an, anab an, anaerobic? This, or, it's the conditioning for yeah, the... If I wrote the anaerobic, oh, I wrote anaerobic. I think it was anaerobic conditioning. Yes. Anaerobic conditioning, which... Which, which I'm not familiar with that term. In, so tell me what that means. That? Tell me okay, what that means. Well, when we lift weights, when you and I lift weights, I don't have you bodybuilding. You know, we're not trying to increase your muscle hypertrophy and get, build big biceps, but we're doing exercises to increase... Your, the anaerobic capacity of your body and your muscles contracting and increasing their conditioning. Um, so, again, it's not geared for hypertrophy and muscle growth, but we're doing controlled movements um, with the weights to facilitate the anaerobic conditioning through your muscular system. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have to be pushing big muscles. Yeah, but that's how, that's how hard you're pushing. If you use your insurance, yeah, mm -hmm. we're getting uh, some kind of interception here. If anybody uh, hasn't star six, please star six to clear the line so we can just hear Derek and, and myself. Thank you. Um, anything in the background will get picked up. So I want to open it up to some questions because I'm sure there's people on the line who would, would like the opportunity to ask you some things. Before we do, though, um, and we're going to have to uh, to see you know how many we can take. Um, I wanted to remind people that if you want to be able to work with Derek, he's going to be offering a workshop in the Santa Cruz area of California, which is about an hour and a half south of San Francisco. And the workshop's held um, July 25th at his gym, where he'll be covering some of this information from uh, 10 to 4. And you can sign up on my website because I'm sponsoring the workshop. And that's at www.coreawareness.com. And that way um, you can connect with him. And also, uh, you've been talking about doing some other workshops down the road that are longer, that are longer training sessions. So stay tuned for that. They'll be, they'll be coming up. But if people want to star six, uh, we'll try to field a few questions to Derek. Anybody have a question they'd like to ask? Just speak up if you do. You have to jump in. Yeah? Are we there? I'm here. Okay. I'm here, too. I can hear people, but I can't. Does anybody have a question they'd like Yeah. Okay, we're getting a lot of we're getting a lot of static, and I think some of it's the cell phone connection. So we're we're not getting as good a connection as possible. But um, 
Meanwhile, while we're waiting, if somebody does want to ask a question, you can jump in when we when we. I'd I'd like you to talk about um, the uh, distress and uh, uh, is it yo stress or you stress uh, that you talked about. Sure, sure. That's a that's a fascinating idea, and actually, and I have never actually heard that word before, so I had to go look it up and. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, distress is a negative stress, and eustress is positive stress. So in our workouts, when we're lifting the weights, we're causing a distress on our body. And when we're doing our rolling and we're relaxing and, and lengthening out our deep tissues, we're giving our body a eustress or a positive stress. And so having a, a, a good balance of, of negative of, of pain in and pain out or stress in and stress out. Um, it's just um, balancing, having a nice balance there, not letting too much pain accumulate in our bodies. So there's such a thing as too much uh, training and too much... Too much of a good thing, huh? Oh, of course. Too much training, but also, you know, like being sedentary. You know, too much being sedentary is a bad thing. And being too, you know, too overtraining is a bad thing as well. So, again, finding that, that happy balance where things can exist in a, in a harmonious, healthy state. So how do you do that? How do you find that balance? What would you recommend people do to start finding a, a balance in their own core you know, they have so much going on. There's so much information. There's confusion in the nervous system. There's tight muscles, what you call tonicity in the tissue. So there's a dryness, and, and specifically the psoas. A lot of people have a dry psoas muscle, not necessarily a weak psoas muscle. It's, it's a dry psoas muscle. So what do you recommend for people? To, how, where, where do they begin? How do they start to find that balance? Well, I think that... Starting with the mentality of spinal-based movement and with the focus on alleviating tension and tonicity along the entire spine and paying particular attention to our transverse processes and all of the tissue that connects on our transverse processes all the way through your L-spine, T-spine, and T-spine. So that's a lot of... I think that's 48 of them that we need to take care of just along our uh, you know, 24 down either side of our spine there. And, and so by taking care of those transverse processes and alleviating the accumulation of trauma and adhesions, that's going to start dissipating the tension in those deep muscles along our spine. And um, so beginning a passive spine-based movement with flexion extension, lateral flexion, while you're passively experiencing these, this movement in your spine, you're absorbing it and feeling the positions so that you're increasing your proprioception. So it becomes a, 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 an exercise in spine-based movement and relaxation and breathing and relaxation. One of the things that you told me that I, I think is really interesting is the idea that um, that that sometimes there's too much going on, like the what you were talking about with the neck, and that sometimes our exercise routine has too many uh, variables in it or too many things happening at the same time. And so that some of the relaxation work is to be able to focus simply on just one area in a, in a very passive, open aware, what I would call core awareness, an open awareness. Well, I think to the neck specifically there and the shoulder girdle and the relationship between the neck and the shoulder girdle, and like the lower back and the hips, tightness in one area is going to lead to tightness in the other. They're adjacent tissues. They're next-door neighbors. Um, so up in the neck and in the shoulders, uh, especially with the kyphotic position through people's T-spines with gravity weighing on them, um, we've really got to to get the, those, those areas uh, in harmony, relaxing with one another, um, and um, that's not easy. And uh, <laughs> it's not an easy practice. We're talking about changing the the frequency or the the vibrational state that our body has come to know to hold these deep muscles. And uh, it takes a concerted effort of passive movement and breathing and um, Next thing you know, next muscles, scalenes, start loosening up, levator scapula, launch, uh, uh, um, coming up on the top of your shoulder blades, 
next thing we've got uh, we've got the ability to arch up and retract our shoulder blades and gain more movement in when we arch up and we extend our spine there's more extension and when we flex there's more flexion and we become soft and supple in those ranges of motion. I think I got off subject there. Yeah, that's, that's okay. Um, you know, it actually brings me to another subject that I think people would be really interested in because with core work, with the awareness of the psoas, I work a lot with people being in their core b- before they move uh, with their extremities. And you've talked about that with weightlifting, for example, of people who are, are struggling with their arms to lift weights rather than transfer weight through the core. I'd love for you to talk about about where movement well, begins see. with and then and not a rigid well, core. When, right. Well, when I was going to get to this before with the shoulder girdle, learning to to posture first and then do your exercise second. So the deeper muscles are holding the spine and the shoulder girdle in a stable position, and then the surface muscles articulate and move and glide over the top of those muscles because we're many layers deep. Well, when when someone doesn't have good posture or when someone is not able to stabilize their shoulders in the correct position, these tissues move arbitrarily as you push and pull against the weight, and the layers of the body are adhering to one another and not gliding over one another. And so we need to get that gliding occurring, and we need to have a clear-cut signal to the shoulders to stay stable and be still and have the, have the rotator cuff and the muscles that support that and the, uh, hold, hold the shoulder stable, and then we do our movement, whatever it might be, the bench press or the pull-downs or the curls, around that stable position. Um, and... That in and of itself will build huge proprioception and neurological control and coordination through the layers of our body. Again, asking one layer to be stable and the adjacent layer right over the top running in another direction to extend and contract and, and actually get those moving over each other. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's how exercise is supposed to be done, but not how it's taught. Well, I'd like to talk specifically uh, with our last few minutes about the psoas because, gee, I'm really interested in the psoas. And, um, and what I see people do is they, they attempt to get a, a strong psoas by doing uh, a lot of abdominal crunches, a, a strong core. And, and I, I am a strong believer of the levels of the body and that when you're toning one level – for example, with the psoas, it can be very relaxed while you're toning your abdominals. Um, and when I when I show people that in a workshop, they're always astonished because they have so much tension they bring to a simple leg lift or uh, an, a leg extension that simply isn't is is unnecessary and in fact uh, uh, disrupts the whole neurology. So, would you speak to the psoas in particular about because you have you 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 call them uh, uh, they, they felt like a cucumbers and of course I always talk sure. about them being fluid and moist and they're the filet mignon and they're they're uh, they're responsive and that only through being fluid can we get those nerve communications that are so vital to proprioceptive awareness. Yeah, I think that. Um accessing, well, doing lots of abdominal moves in lots of different directions, um, having, having the, the abdominals, the rectus ab- abdomen do their part, having the, the rectus femoris and sartorius and TFL, those hip flexor attachments, do their part, and then have the feedback uh, from the psoas muscle doing its part underneath as well, um, and having that um, so that when you're doing a movement, uh, you know what position your spine is in. Your psoas is giving you the the feedback when you're doing. Either, it could be a we do some we do some movements with our spine held in really good posture. We also do some movements with our spine more neutral, and then we even do some movements with our spine in forward flexion. So to be able to change the position that your spine is in, and then 
work accordingly, we have to have that clear-cut signal from the psoas so that we know, you know, what position is our spine extended or flexed? Is it laterally flexing? Ah, that's a really important one there. Um, is your L-spine moving off to the right or is it moving off to the left? You can generally look down at your belly button and know which direction you have a tendency to have your, your L-flexion. And if your belly button's off to the right, you're probably a right flexioner of your L-spine, but gaining your body looks for strength out of the right hip. And then your right psoas will be your, your dominant psoas. Um, it will be slightly shorter on the connections of the psoas on that side. And the opposing side then would be a little longer and a little beef jerky. <laughs> Both of them probably a little beef jerky. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Uh, well, we, are, we just have a few more minutes, but I wanted to open it up again. And for people who haven't done this before, if you have star six to be silent, you have to star six again to come back online if you have a question. I know some people are intimidated to ask questions online, and you will be, this will be on taped, so you will be um, there for other people to hear, but you're welcome to ask a question. So maybe we'll be quiet for a minute and see if anybody wants to come on. Thank you. I'm hearing a lot, but I'm not hearing any specific questions. I'm getting a lot of, yeah. Okay, there it's somebody. Hi. 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 Um, you guys have talked a lot about how the body should move and different things, but what would be some type of actual exercises to teach people how to relax the neck and shoulder, shoulder girdle and to, you know, have the psoas be supple? I mean, I think that's just so deep as far as concept-wise for people to get. Right. Well, it's actually, it's quite simple. It doesn't, it's not... Um, it's not like a, a weird or or a um, complicated movement pattern. We're talking and we're talking about simply dropping your chin down to flex your C spine, and, and you know, the, and then maybe le uh, leaning off to the left, and then you're gaining openness on the back right of your C spine. So it's just learning how to move your body. And then, in that, and then learn how to pick traction up in the correct ways. So when you're stretching your C-spine, a lot of people like to reach up and they would instruct you to maybe touch your fingers on the side of your head and gently pull it over. But I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. I feel it stretches the already compromised attachments at the neck um, and where we're already harboring tension. I feel if you're doing the C-spine, which you mentioned neck, you want to hold something in your hand or gain traction through your arm and through your shoulder, and then lean away and let the traction go down through your shoulder, affecting the, the um, attachments down under your collarbone and at your upper ribs and at the top of your scapula, not just pulling on the uh, origins up at, at the C-spine. Um, and then learning how to move passively through these ranges of motion with traction while you're flexing and extending your spine. Um, it's, uh, my neck muscles were so tight, I thought I needed an operation for sure. I sought out all, every, all the help I could get. I would be woken up in the middle of the night with a pounding sensation in my thumbs, like someone was hitting my thumbs with a hammer. My thoracic outlet was so bad, and, and uh, here I am in a state where well, I just don't experience pain in my neck anymore. Well, you know, let, let's, that's a great question, and, and, and let's take it one step further because part of the development is the overdevelopment of the front body versus releasing uh, yeah, into an equal. Pattern. Yeah, and, and would you talk about right. that? Because there's a lot of what you're talking about with that thumb issue is that when someone does pick up a weight, they're not using their pinkies, and they're not sending that information down through their... The back of the body. Right. You want to access yeah, the correct neurology. And let's just say you're holding a dumbbell or holding something in your hand. If you squeeze harder with your index finger, you're going to fire nervous impulses down your radial nerve, down the front of your arm. Whereas if you squeeze your pinky finger, 
as you're making your fist, not your index. We fire a different set of nerves going down through the ulnar aspect of the arm. And so knowing how to, how, you know, where to squeeze. It should be squeezing with our index finger or our pinky finger and during which exercises to create the correct neurological chain um, as you're exercising. There's also, uh, to, to help you also understand what we're going to be doing, is we're going to be doing some filming of uh, Derek uh, doing some things like the box squat and some of the things that we're talking about. And you're going to find them uh, on my website. And I would give it about a week and then go on coreawareness.com and, and uh, you'll find a podcast there as well, but also um, a video. We'll, we're going to try to do some video shooting so that you can actually see some of the movement that he has through his pelvis and, and so people get start getting the right idea. And my workshops, I work a lot with uh, spinal movement because I work at, with the psoas muscle, which is part of the fear reflex. And so we do a lot of curling, what, what I call fetal movement, which is not only a functional movement, but it's a biological movement. It's a reflex in the body. So it's a response that's a survival response. And then we also do a lot of arcing, which has to do with, with startle reflex. So I'm actually working with primitive primal reflexes. Uh, when you work with me. And then, you know, what's so great is that although I move it into normal behavior, Derek takes it into a whole nother uh, level of, of being able to, whether it's competitions or uh, athletic sports, uh, whatever, whatever someone wants to take it into another training mode. Yeah, living pain-free. And living pain-free, yes. Can you come to Wisconsin and do your seminar? <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. Sure. We're yeah, going to actually do... Go ahead, there. Go ahead. Yeah, we're going to... Oh, gonna... by Madison. Yeah, Madison. Yeah, and well, we're going to do a... We're going to... We're planning a workshop in Santa Monica uh, uh, that's a longer workshop than the July workshop. There's one in... Uh, there's one in July here in, in California. There'll be one in Southern California in the beginning of the year that he and I will teach together. The one in July here will be his, and then I'm actually doing one the day before that's on, uh, it's going to be in water. So I'll prep the tissue, and then you'll go over, if you want to do both workshops, and go with Derek the next day. And so you'll be, you'll be primed and ready to be able to, to uh, discover even more about movement and uh, strength training. So, yeah, email, email me if you're interested in having Derek come, and I'll, I'll pass that on, on, to, on to him. I'd love, I'd love to come work with you and show you how to loosen up. <laughs> that would be great. Do you have a website, Derek, or no? Um, I am developing it right now, so maybe give me three to four weeks, and I will have some good stuff up, I promise. Okay, and how about an e – would you share your email so that we could email you and ask you if any questions, or should we go through yes. Well, I, do you, is, is my email up on your site anywhere, Liz? Uh, no, so why don't you give that to people? Maybe we should – yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll put that up there, too. Uh, it's Derek Stockton, my name, D-E-R-I-C, Stockton, S-T-O-C-K-T-O-N, at sbcglobal.net. And I would be happy to take any questions and answer them to the best of my ability. Great. I appreciate that. Okay. Yeah, because it's, you know, I, I, you guys have talked about, but there's just a lot of questions now. Okay. <laughs> so. Well, good. Well. <laughs> Is there anybody well, else good. you'd like to ask good. a question before we close for the? Yes. Yes. Uh -huh. uh, can you speak? Can you speak to what Symmetricor is? Well, Symmetricor is is our plan for when you are moving, when you're doing your exercise. Where, where when Liz mentioned repetitive movement before, so that when you're doing your repetitive movements. You have the proprioception and awareness of the neutrality of your spine and how it's supposed to be sitting in space and time. So, again, we've developed movements where and feedback, a system of feedback for you where when you move up and down, you will learn how your spine wants to shift, how it wants to either bend forward or backward under as you, as you move through your hips or how it wants to move laterally, again, the sco your scoliotic pattern. And then we teach you to stabilize your spine against that scoliotic pattern. So if you were to sit down and each time you sat, your hips moved one inch to the right 
It's not very much, but each time you sit down, your hips move one inch to the right. We would teach you what's going on there and how to sit down in the center and not allow that scoliotic pattern and that shift to occur while you're going up and down. I contend 99.9% .9 of the exercise population hasn't considered this yet, and as they're going up and down, up and down, up and down, they're not staying centered, and there's going to be issues. They might not be symptomatic now, but they will be in the future. That will ruin its ugly head. That's a great question. Anybody else have something they'd like to ask Derek before we close? Well, thank you, Derek. Thank you, Liz. That was uh, most enjoyable. Okay. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna close. Derek, why don't you stay on the line for a minute? I'm gonna stop the recording.